Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Again, my good friend, and welcome into another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Always great to chat with you. I know we get together here once a month on the show, and I know during this period especially, this has been a great outlet uh, for me to come on and talk to you about the things I love in television, in film, and I'm sure for Andy as well to get on here and talk about music, his uh, great love in this world. If I know one thing about him, it's that, Uh, and I've known the guy for a long time. But, uh, man, this show is just so important to the two of us, and uh, we're always glad to bring it to you. Uh, Me from my closet in Columbus, Ohio, and Andy from his home studio in Cleveland. That sounds very serious, but I think it's just like in his bedroom or something, spare bedroom. You know, I don't think it's anything too too much, too grandiose. Not yet, at least. Not until uh, we end up picking up a few sponsors here on the show, which we were patiently waiting on for about five years now to start rolling in. Uh, anyway, I am Clint Davis. I am your friendly host here on the show. And like I said, I bring you my portions of the show to you from a closet somewhere outside of Columbus, Ohio. In just a little bit, we'll be hearing from my friend and yours, Andy Sedlak. As always, reach out to me uh, at theclintdavis at gmail.com. I always like getting your emails about uh, anything, even if it's just about the show. What do you think about the show? And uh, what do you like? What do you not like? about the show. What do you wish we would talk about a little bit more? I'd love to, uh, you don't have to have recommendations or takes on what I'm talking about. I just like to hear from you. It's just kind of cool. And I think Andy's the same way. You can hit him at sedlakjournal at gmail.com, S-E-D-L-A-K, journal at gmail.com. As always, I'm going to urge you to go over to uh, YouTube and check out Overdue Review. That's my channel up there. Uh, And also you can find me on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis, M-R Clint Davis, and you'll see kind of what I'm watching as I'm watching it right there. Andy is on Instagram, by the way, at Andy Sedlak. And uh, I, as I've been doing for the last few months, usually for years on this show, I always lit up a stogie when I was sitting in my closet talking to you about movies and television, but I haven't been doing that the last few months because of the COVID-19 pandemic, and I just don't want to rub into anyone's face that I haven't been afflicted with this and that my lungs feel pretty good. Uh, because uh, my wife, Beth, and I have been about as hardcore as anybody could be about this through the whole thing. And I mean, I'm 100% with you. I have only seen 
through since February, the only people that I have spent any time with, other than Beth and my son Emerson, are my mom and my stepdad, who I saw for one weekend uh, back in God. I think it was, I think it was uh, May. I'm pretty sure, maybe April. That's the those are the only people that I've seen this entire time. We haven't gone anywhere really. We've we've picked up food. Like and eating it at home, but that's all we do. We haven't eaten anywhere. We haven't gone out and done anything. It's been really so. We have been isolationists to the extreme. I don't know how severely you've been following all these rules, but I'm a type one diabetic, so I'm not fucking around with it. And uh, you know, with our son and everything, and who knows what it does to kids for the long. Who knows what it does to anybody for the long run? But anyway, I have a job that lets me work at home, and Beth's job is having her work at home for a while now as well. Uh, and so we've been lucky in that regard. We haven't had to go out and talk to people. Uh, so we haven't and gone out and seen people and done things. And, you know, I mean, it's been very lonely and, and hard and, and sad, but, uh, luckily we found a few ways to have fun. And, and a big one obviously is watching things on TV, watching movies, playing video games and stuff like that. So, and coming in and doing this show really is a nice thing to get to chat with you. So it's been a very lonely and tough few months for all of us, except for the dumbass people who are just going out and acting like it never happened, you know, and just ignoring the uh, hundreds of thousands of deaths in this country. But I don't know how you do that and sleep at night. So anyway, thank you for joining me here on the Stream Police Podcast. Always glad to hang out with you, my friend. As we always like to do to kind of get into the show, you know, all the great TV shows, not all of them, but most of the great TV shows in history opened with a great theme song, right? I mean, that's kind of one of the hallmarks of television is the theme song. And so for 54 episodes now, this will be the 55th, I have been telling you about my choices for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. For this episode's uh, entry into the canon of the great TV show theme songs, I've got one that is a no-doubter that I think you have loved as a theme song if you've ever seen this show. I know I have. I know you've whistled it to yourself, sang it to yourself long after the show was over. Um, and I'll unveil the, I'll lift the curtain here in just a second, but I, I just want to give you some background. So I gave you a glimpse into my childhood as a boy growing up in a home where the Fox network was on TV all the time when I dove into the theme song of Living Single a few episodes ago. I told you that was one of my favorite sitcoms from childhood that I really remember watching when I was growing up. But now I'm going to hit on a show that was an even bigger part of my days as a growing boy in southwestern Ohio. We're going to fly all the way back to 1987, not too long before your humble narrator was born, for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And it belongs to the show that was the first major hit for the then-fledgling Fox Television Network. Let me tell you something about this song. So the song is Love and Marriage by Frank Sinatra. And of course, it was the opening theme song to the hit show Married with Children, uh, which ran from 1987 to 1997, and like I said, was kind of the network, or was the show that really put Fox on the map. Fox was, I, I said fledgling, and that is no joke whatsoever. Fox was like about to go under. Nobody ever took it seriously. Nobody really watched it. But then in 87, 
they get married with children, and then like kind of right after that, they get The Simpsons. And The Simpsons is the show that really mainstream, just you know, made Fox kind of what it is. And I mean, it's still on the air now. But Married with Children was a bona fide hit, and it was a live action show, so people talk, took it a lot more seriously as a TV show for adults and a primetime show than The Simpsons, because the the concept of an adult primetime cartoon sitcom was still so novel at that point. Nowadays, every other show, it seems like, is, uh, you know, an adult animated TV series, and and many of them are acclaimed, and many of them have been on the air forever, and they get huge ratings. Uh, But The Simpsons was kind of the first one to do that. I mean, there had been primetime cartoons, like The Flintstones was in primetime, and The Jetsons was in primetime, but those weren't really shows for adults, you know? I mean, they were kind of like kids' shows that aired in the evening, but The Simpsons was for adults, really. But Married with Children made Fox kind of what it was uh, in the early days and really made it a network that was able to draw in a lot of advertising dollars because this show was just a huge hit. There was really no show like it. If you've never seen Married with Children and you hear this theme song, you might not have any idea of what kind of show it was. You might think it was like a friendly neighborhood, like father knows best kind of deal. Uh, And the show's called Married with Children, and it opens with this sweet song by, this syrupy song by Frank Sinatra. Um, But it wasn't that at all. Love and marriage, love and marriage Go together like a horse and carriage This I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. Married with Children, of course, followed this family in Illinois named the Bundy family. There was Al Bundy, and there was his wife Peggy Bundy, and there was their daughter, uh, an older teenager named Kelly Bundy, and then their son, who was a younger teenager, uh, named Bud Bundy, and they had a dog as well, and the dog would talk, not not really talk, the dog would talk to the audience, like you would hear the dog's thoughts, and the dog was by far the smartest person in the family, and uh, doesn't that sound like another show, doesn't that sound like Family Guy, I mean, basically, this was pretty much Family Guy, you know, I mean, 10 years, 20, I don't know, how long ago before Family Guy, Family Guy was like the early 2000s, right, so 15 years before Family Guy comes out, this show's on, uh, and, and Family Guy would kind of rip it off like wholesale as far as its setup goes. But anyway, Married with Children was about this family, and they were all just basically like pieces of shit. I mean, no one on this show was anyone that you would look up to at all. They were all just morally just terribly people, terrible people. Kelly was like a complete dingbat moron. Bud was just like the classic horny teenager just trying to do whatever he could to get laid even though it never happened for him. Uh, you know, he's classic, he's got the rubber the, the rubber sex doll, like, down in the basement, that kind of stuff. Just, you know, t- a total dork, really. Uh, and then, you know, Peg is, like, the worst. She's a housewife, but she's the absolute worst housewife of all time. She's just totally lazy, never does anything. She cooks, but the meals are awful, um, never cleans, just literally sits on her ass all the time and watches, like, daytime soap operas from morning until the time that Al gets home from his job as a shoe salesman at the mall. Uh, and it's just... Just the most demoralizing job ever and Al's not a nice guy anyway he spends all of his extra time and extra money at a strip club called the Jiggly Room and uh, you know reading nudie magazines and hanging out with his friends who are like these just horrible um, overgrown man babies who uh, found this organization called No Ma'am where they you know are just like these total anti-feminists it's just all just they're just bad bad people but 
they get into, I mean, just it's classic sitcom stuff, stupid situations all the time, and the characters were just funny, and the whole thing was just so outlandish that you couldn't believe what you were watching. And as a kid, I didn't really understand a lot of what they were making fun of, and and, and I didn't really get the subtext. I didn't, I didn't really get what I was watching at all, but I thought it was funny, and I thought uh, the actors were funny, and uh, I always remember this theme song. I just loved it, even when I was a kid. Love and marriage, love and marriage. It's an institute you can't disparage. Ask the local gentry, and they will say it's elementary. And so I would watch this show as a kid because my parents loved it, and I had no sense of irony whatsoever. So I thought that this song was like kind of boring and I thought it was like totally serious. I thought it was just talking about love and marriage, you know? And I didn't get that this was really one of the most brilliant and funny theme songs that could ever be chosen for any show because what could you think of as this syrupy, over-sentimentalized song? What could you think of that would be more, or I guess less fitting for a show with the subject matter of, of Married with Children than this song? I mean, there's just no way you could make it any better as far as the theme song goes. And Sinatra's voice, he's just, he's so fucking smooth singing this song. And it's like almost like, the more I've listened to this song over the years, the more I've thought it's just a satirical song in general because it sounds like Frank himself doesn't believe a word of what he's saying. It sounds like he just is treating this song as like a big jerk-off. And he's like, yeah, love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. Like, I mean, he, it's like almost like he thinks it's stupid while he's singing it, and he's kind of making fun of you if you're really taking it seriously and enjoying it. So I think it's a brilliant song, and I think it's just one of the best choices ever for a theme song, and I love that they were allowed to use it. That's one of the things that I think is just amazing about this story because I, I would have to. I can't think of another show where Frank Sinatra is on the theme song, and he's, the, I mean, one of the biggest singers of all time. And uh, it's, this is a show that is coming from some writers that nobody really knows. It's on a network nobody watches. It's terrible, like... To totally just like adult horrible off-color humor and yet they got the rights to this Sinatra song I don't know how that all went but I think it was a huge score for him and it worked really well it's just one of the best one of the best uh, theme songs of all time easily try 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 to separate them it's an illusion try 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 and you To this conclusion, love and marriage. The smooth sounds of Frank Sinatra playing over top of Ed O'Neill, reaching down into his underwear while he sits on the couch with his legs spread wide apart and uh, just just not, not really doing anything, just sitting there with his kind of his hand on, on his junk inside his pants. I mean, I, I never... <laughs> really understood that until I got to be like in my 30s and I started kind of doing the same thing and I'm like okay now I get it now I get what I was uh now I get what I was doing it's just a kind of a nice thing to do at the end of the day but it's just an outstanding song love and marriage by Frank Sinatra and it's an even better theme song I think the way they end it the little stinger on the end is perfect and uh I just love everything about it. It's 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 perfect as an opener to this show that is just totally um, unlike really any other sitcom about a family that had come 
before it and would really lay the foundation for a lot of shows that would come along and rip it off later and they're still ripping it off to this day so i give married with children a lot of credit wasn't always perfect wasn't always pretty uh, but it really did have some very funny moments and still some jokes that i remember to this day like i just can't think about al bundy without thinking about him talking about polk high and his seven touchdowns in one game and doing the heisman pose it's just every time i think about some busted down old guy who thinks about his high school football career i have to think about al bundy it's just the first guy that comes to mind but anyway Love and Marriage by Frank Sinatra, the theme song for Married with Children, which ran from 1987 to 1997 on Fox. That's our pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. God, those lyrics too, right? Ask the local gentry and he will say it's elementary. First off, great rhyme. Second off, what the fuck is a gentry? Did anybody ever figure that out? The local gentry reminds me of like when I, whenever I hear uh, Frosty the Snowman and they get to the part about Parson Brown and I'm always like, what the fuck is a parson? Who is Parson Brown? I mean, I can kind of infer that I guess it's like some kind of uh, religious guy, some kind of priest or something because he asks if they're married. And they say, no, man. Uh, but I've never heard anyone referred to as a parson. I, and I've never heard anyone referred to as the local gentry either. Except for in that song. You know what I mean? When you need a rhyme, you'll go to any depths as a songwriter to find that rhyme. So I've been asking you the last few months as we sit inside this quarantine, uh, optional quarantine at this point, what has been getting you through? If you've been sitting at home as well, if you've been toughing it out, um, what has been getting you through this? Because it's not been going out to the theater. It's not been going to see movies. It's not been going to concerts. It's not been going to, you know, games. It's pretty much been doing whatever you're doing at home. So what things have been getting you through that you've been watching, playing, listening to? Hit me up at theclintdavis at gmail.com. I want to know, even if it's embarrassing, I want to know what's getting you through the quarantine, man. And I'm going to tell you this month what I've been doing a lot of. The NBA bubble, first off, what a lifesaver this has been. It's been completely safe for the players. No positive tests from anyone that's in that bubble. The games have been stellar. So that has been something I've been glued to for the last month. But also being able to watch my beloved Cincinnati Reds again playing uh, playing baseball. So it, those two things, live sports being back, have helped me a lot. I've always been a big sports lover. Uh, but not being without sports has been tough because when I do my job, when I'm doing my uh, writing for my day job, usually I'm watching a game as well. Like I just like to have them on in the background, even if I'm not paying that much attention. And so not having any live sports was really tough for me during that time. I went through a lot of withdrawal from that. So uh, having the NBA bubble back, having the Reds back has been huge for me. It has to put a dent in my movie watching a little bit, but uh uh, those have been getting me through totally because I don't know where they're going. So that's it's been nice to have some things that are unpredictable uh, at this point. Also, I have been that you can judge me all you want. Beth totally did, but I have been watching these long play videos on YouTube of people playing through the Silent Hill games. When I was younger, I played the first two 
uh, on PlayStation on PlayStation Two, and I I loved them, but I they were like traumatic for me. They're still so scary to me, scarier than like any other games I've ever played. And I so I wanted to play them again, but I'm like I don't want to find a copy of the first Silent Hill on PS One and, and pay like forty dollars for it at some used store, and then you know get out my PS One and then go through it and be scared you know, shitless again playing it. And the same for the second one. So I'm like, I'll just look them up on YouTube and, and watch people who, you know, played through them pretty quickly, just rip through them. And I, so I did that and it was really cool. It was like watching, you know, a great horror movie uh, play out. So I watched the first couple of those and uh, I'm going to watch the rest of them, I think, the ones that I didn't even play yet, just on on YouTube. So I've been having fun doing that uh, just because I'm saving myself the trauma of playing them again. I'll, I'll leave it in the hands of someone who's a little bit, uh, you know, less scared of playing that game than I am again. Uh, so that's been kind of getting me through as well. been watching some Silent Hill on YouTube. Also, HBO Max's movie selection, which is excellent. I reviewed last month HBO Max, told you that I give you a full-throated recommendation to check out HBO Max. Get a subscription if, if it's not too expensive for you because there's so many great movies and shows on there, and their movie selection is immaculate. They've got so many great Criterion Collection movies, so if there's been a lot of those that you've been wanting to see, auteur films and stuff like that, check out HBO Max's library uh, and you might find some things that you've been wanting to watch that are, that are hard to find. So I've found a few of them on there that I've checked out. Um, and also, big one that's been getting me through in the last month is that I have gone back and I'm re-watching Mad Men, one of my very favorite, I'm talking probably top three TV shows of all time for me, um, and I want to tell you about my rewatch of it right now because I have some thoughts as I go back and check out this show. You know, it's always dicey to go back and relive a show that you have fond, fond memories of. We've talked about that here on the show before as well. It, it, can be a, a, it can be a dangerous thing because you have great memories of it, but then you go back and you watch it and the cracks really kind of start to show as time goes on. And so Mad Men, it's not that old. I mean, it came out and it started in 07. I started watching it, I think, in 08 was when I picked up Mad Men. I think I started watching it live in the second season. It was one of those where I got the first season on DVD, and then I started watching the second season on AMC as it was airing, and then was just stuck on it the whole time it aired and loved it all the way through. I thought the finale was was fantastic. I think I talked about the finale, actually, on one of the first episodes of this show. So when the finale aired, yeah, I know I did. So you can go back and check that out. It was in one of our, it was in our early run of episodes talking about the Mad Men finale. But I, I just loved this show, and I, I think it, you know, it is one of those great TV shows, one of the great TV shows ever made. So going back to rewatch it was kind of dangerous because I'm like, well, what if it wasn't as good as I thought it was? And what if I don't like it as much now as I did then? And so I was worried about that. But I found out that it was streaming. I've got them all on Blu-ray anyway, but. You know, I mean, it's just easier than digging out the DVDs, so might as well watch it if it's streaming. And, and Mad Men was streaming on Netflix for a long time, but it just was pulled off this year, or it might have been late last year. It was very recently that it got pulled off of Netflix, and now it's looking for a new home. Um, but anyway, it's streaming for free right now on IMDb TV, which is owned by Amazon. Amazon owns IMDb. And IMDb TV is like a streaming app but if you have the Amazon Prime app, you can also find everything that's on IMDb TV on there. But it's free with ads, so you have to watch some ad breaks, which was the way it was anyway. When you're watching that show, I don't think it's as bad 
when you're watching a TV show as it is when you're watching a movie and they drop an ad break into the middle of a, like a, you know, huge fight scene or something. That's the worst. Uh, but on a TV show, you know, I can live with a few ads there. It's less anyway than it was when you were watching it on AMC to begin with. So if you want to watch Mad Men, if you haven't seen it yet, it's on IMDb TV and it's, there's, there are like no shows I can recommend more than Mad Men. I think it's a universally appealing show if you like intellectual television anyway. But even if you don't, I, I think you can, it, I, my mom, I'm not, I'm not trying to dump on her here. She's not really into like the really brainy TV shows. She likes the more visceral kind of shows. I mean, she likes to watch like The Amazing Race and like Big Brother and stuff like that. But my mom also loves Deadwood. She loves The Sopranos. She loves Mad Men. She loved watching Mad Men. I would go over to her house and we would watch it together. It was really cool. We'd go over once a week and watch Mad Men uh, whenever it was on. And my mom liked this show a lot, even though she's not into like really hyper intellectual TV. So I'm just, I think it's, it's got something for everybody. Even if you just love the sumptuous costumes and the set design and the way the characters look and the way they act, like even if it's just that stuff, even if it's just the more surfacey stuff, there's a lot of Mad Men to keep you engaged because the style is just impeccable in this show. But Rewatching Mad Men, I'm telling you right now, I am through, I got through the first season again in about a week, and, and I've gotten into the second season again, and I like this show even more the second time through than I did the first time through, and I loved it the first time through. I think it's even better than I remember it being, which is really saying something. And Matthew Weiner, the guy who created this show, he worked on The Sopranos. Uh, he was on that vaunted writing staff. When he was there, and I think this show is better written than The Sopranos is overall. Um, and I think this show is better cast than The Sopranos was overall as well. Sopranos, one of my least favorite things about it is the cast. I think there are a few major missteps in that cast that really held the show back at times. Now, some of the casting was absolutely brilliant. I mean, James Gandolfini is as good a TV lead as there is ever likely to be, and Edie Falco is as good a TV supporting lead, co-lead, I guess you could say she is, but she's really, any, everyone's a supporting character in that show compared to Tony. But Edie Falco is, is completely brilliant in that show uh, as well. And, and there's a lot of really great acting done in The Sopranos, but there are some bad casting decisions as well that I've never gotten over. But Mad Men is possibly the best instance of casting that I have ever seen on a TV show from top to bottom. And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic there. I just think that when you're talking about the first season of a show and you've got a big cast like this show has, it is really hard. And you're talking about a network like AMC that didn't have the prestige that it has now. And you're talking about... Um, you know, a guy in Matthew Weiner who had never been a showrunner before, had never had a big hit TV show. This show's cast is made up of almost entirely unknown actors, except for Robert Morse, is really the only one who was well-known at all in the entire cast, and he's a supporting player. But they nailed every part. Like, there's not a single character in this cast that I can imagine any other actor playing. And like I said, they're all virtual unknowns. So I think if there's like a lifetime award for greatest casting decisions ever in a TV show, Mad Men has to be it because it's just 
perfect from start to finish and and it's got its voice right from the beginning the the pilot really is in line with the rest of the episodes which is so rare even among the best tv shows for a pilot to be that good now the pilot i did find to be a little bit more heavy-handed than the rest of the series would be as far as it's look at how sexist everything was and man look how um you know look how bad these guys were and and, and look how how much they objectify women it was like really kind of shocking in the first episode and then from there it got a little subtler but not really it, it, this show is kind of you know hits you over the head with man the 1960s were a fucking nightmare for most people um but the first episode really wants you to know hey this is not about romanticizing anything this is about telling you the truth here and that's kind of ironic for a show that's about advertising which is known as basically the phoniest business there is i mean they're kind of known for selling images and not really selling products it's exactly what we talked about it's obvious i'm uninvolved i think it's sentimental peggy no she's right just because it has sentiment doesn't make it sentimental. We're talking about businessmen. Right, businessmen who like short skirts. Sex sells. Says who? Just so you know, the people who talk that way think that monkeys can do this. And they take all this monkey crap and just stick it in a briefcase, completely unaware that their success depends on something more than their shoe shine. You are the product. You feeling something. That's what sells. Not them. Not sex. But if you don't know anything about Mad Men, it is about advertising in the 1960s. The first season takes place in 1960, and uh, we're on Madison Avenue where the Mad Men, who the ad men of the 1960s, who have kind of this legendary, notorious uh, um, reputation for being you know, women chasers and uh, being heavy drinkers and, uh, you know, just these big creative artist types who, you know, wear the gray flannel suits and, you know, it's just all of it, smoke cigarettes nonstop, smoke two packs a day and all that kind of stuff. It's just all, this show is all about image and maintaining the image and whether it's to your friend, people that you like to think of as your friends but really you're competing with them or you know your neighbors or your co-workers you're always trying to give off the image that you're better than them and everyone's trying to do that at every step in this show and um to the point where a lot of people just break down uh at some point and are not able to keep up the facade for for too long and there are some people who are extremely real in this show uh, but even the realest characters on the show have their moments where they get sucked in by the peer pressure of, of keeping up the image and just being fake. And the cracks show sometimes on them as well, that it's hard to be a real person at a time where things are so superficial and in a place like, you know, the heart of Manhattan and, you know, in business where you have to be kind of a square peg in a square hole. You can, you're not able to be you're not able to stand out at all really in this world um and that's kind of what Mad Men was all about it, it wiped the sheen off of the 1960s which is this decade that is just so commonly romanticized in America people think of the 60s they think of like oh it was the greatest music ever you know they think of like Woodstock and 
they think of you know free love and uh, they think of Kennedy and they don't necessarily think of Kennedy getting killed but they think of Kennedy they think of the civil rights movement and stuff like that they don't necessarily think about well MLK got murdered as well everyone was getting murdered like anyone who stood out at all basically got murdered in the 1960s and and I've always thought it was so weird that this was a decade that got romanticized so much because I think of it as such a brutal time and really that's what this show is about Matthew Weiner wanted to show you that the 60s was this decade that was a nightmare for anyone who was slightly non-conforming and especially for anyone who lived on the margins and I think that's why you had this explosion of creativity and of great music come out of the 1960s because you had all these weirdos who finally found their voices and were able to get into the music business and express themselves and filmmakers as well and express themselves a little bit. The writing on this show, though, is just so sharp and so character driven that I feel like you can't help but feel you are inside each of their heads as you get to know them, and you really do get to know most of these characters. There's not a lot of just surfacey people you see a few times and you don't really think about them too much. Like, you kind of get to know something about each of these people, and, and some of them you get to know very, very well, uh, especially the characters at the top, like Don Draper, played by John Hamm, or uh, Betty Draper by January Jones, or uh, Peggy Olson by Elizabeth Moss, the, or Pete Campbell. And Roger Sterling as well. I mean, these are these characters you get to know them intimately uh, and feel like you really know them and you understand where they're going to go. It's almost like you can predict their moves because you know them so well. And that's a, a tribute to the way the writers have written them and painted them because they paint a vivid picture of who these people are. And it can be, honestly, this show can be terrifying to watch at times because you just, like, I find myself just wincing when I'm watching it during any scene where there's a group of men together because you just know the kinds of things that they're going to say and even the even when a group of women get together you just know the kind of things they're going to say and and it's just it can get very uncomfortable and it's very like this is the way people were thinking then and it's amazing and some people still hold on to those thoughts to this day and it's not I'm not just talking about racism stuff which is touched on a lot in this show I'm talking heavily about sexism and uh, also about homophobia but man sexism is hit hard on Mad Men it's one of uh it, it really is the show always had uh, a good number of women writers on the staff right from the beginning it didn't just have like the token woman on board and I think the show went heavy on trying to show you uh, the, the, you know, world of business and how hard it was for women to get into it and, and how thankful people need to be now that it is a lot easier. But even now, I mean, there's still a lot of bullshit, but back then it was like almost impossible and you were never going to be taken seriously, even if you did great work, which Peggy Olson in the show finds out the hard way day after day after day. Uh, and she ends up becoming really one of the great characters in TV history. And you could argue that she's the main character of the show when it's all said and done. I hope you know that covering your typewriter's office code for I'm done for the day. I'm not feeling so swell. Neither am I. Look at these letters you typed after lunch. Terre Haute, Indiana has two R's and an A and an E at the end. I think either you missed home row by a hand or you were out drinking with the junior account boys again. I wasn't drinking. I don't like your tone. I'll read you these right away. Look at you all in a snip. Are you going to watch me? What is wrong with you? Honestly, 
Why is it that every time a man takes you out to lunch around here, you're, you're the dessert? That's terrible. It's constant from every corner. I'm from Bay Ridge. We have manners. Why can't they just leave it alone? Because men always bother you all the time. They follow you down the street. Well, not exactly. Look, dear, I don't know you that well. But you're the new girl, and you're not much, so you might as well enjoy it while it lasts. Of course. Don't be that way. I'm just offering some perspective, that's all. So I've been just loving watching Mad Men again. It has not disappointed me at all, uh, and I'm just thrilled to be sitting down with it all the way through because I, I loved it all the way. There wasn't any season that I thought was a down season. Uh, and I'm just thrilled to be spending time with these characters again, because it's, it's just, just a once in a lifetime kind of show. And I'm so glad that I lived in a time where this show was on and I got to watch it when it was on because it's just, it's legendary TV to me. And, uh, it's one of the true Titans and one of the all time greats. And I've been loving just, I want to give a shout out to Robert Morse because he was probably, like I said, the most well-known actor in the bunch. He's the one, he plays Burt Cooper, who's like the head of the advertising agency and just kind of a little bit of an eccentric guy. Doesn't allow people to wear shoes in his office. He's very into like East Asian, you know, motifs and things like that. And he loves reading Ayn Rand, you know, I mean, he's just kind of a, a, a weird guy, but Robert Morse fills him with such soul and adds such weight and presence to every single scene that he's in. And that's so important for a TV for a drama TV show in its first season. Robert Morse adds all that. Every scene he's in in the first season, he is so phenomenal. And he's phenomenal through the whole show. But he just never hits a bad note. And I could watch him act all day. He's just one of the all-time greats. But uh, him in, in his role as Burt Cooper is, is one of the great casting calls in history. And, and I feel like weight and presence are things that Mad Men never lacked in. But Morse was a huge part of that, adding it at the beginning when these actors were unknowns and you didn't know where this was going to go. But he really is. Uh, he's a titan in this cast among a, a bunch of people who were kind of trying to find their feet in, you know, acting on a big time show like this. And I think he led the way and just this show, I can't say enough good about it. So if you never saw Mad Men, just get do yourself a favor and find it. It's on IMDb TV. Uh, check it out. It's streaming for free right now. I don't know what else to tell you. It's it's one of the all-time great TV shows and absolutely at the very top of my list. Don't get personal because you didn't do your work. And by the way, I know it kills you, but guess what? There is no Danny's idea. Everything that comes in here belongs to the agency. You mean you? As long as you still work here. Is that a threat? Because I've already taken somebody up on one of those tonight. Relax. You know what? Here's a blank piece of paper. Why don't you turn that into glow coat? Are you out of your mind? You gave me 20 ideas, and I picked out one of them that was a colonel that became that commercial. So you remember? I do. It was something about a cowboy. Congratulations. No, it was something about a kid locked in a closet because his mother was making him wait for the floor to dry, which is basically the whole commercial. It's a colonel. Which you changed just enough so that it was yours. I changed it into a commercial. What, are we going to shoot him in the dark in the closet? That's the way it works. There are no credits on commercials. You got the Cleo. It's your job. I give you money, you give me ideas. And you never say thank you. That's what the money is for. You're young, you will get your recognition. And honestly, it is absolutely ridiculous to be two years into your career and counting your ideas. Everything to you is an opportunity. 
And you should be thanking me every morning when you wake up, along with Jesus, for giving you another day. All right, I'm going to take a breather here for a second. I'm going to take a, a sip of water, and I'm going to pass things over to Andy Sedlak. Let's see what he's got. Glad to have him back with us this month, telling us what he's been listening to. So take it away, my friend. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right. It feels so good to be back after a month off. Uh, the old schedule tightened up. So I'm sorry I missed you. Had to take care of a few things, uh, pay a few people off, settle up with my bookie. Uh, but now, now I think the dogs have lost the scent and I'm, uh, I'm free to get back to you. Last time out, we spoke about protest songs. Protest songs. And after that segment aired... It was brought to my attention that I missed one, which I knew would happen. Uh, but this was a big one. So thank you to our loyal listener, Sean, in uh, New York City, for reminding me about a country protest song, which itself is a bit of a rarity. It is We Shall Be Free by Mr. Garth Brooks. Of bread. When the last man dies for just words that he said, when they're sheltered over the poorest head, we shall be free. When the last thing we notice is the color of skin, and the first thing we look for is the beauty within, when the skies and the oceans are clean. When the last thing we notice is the color of the skin, and the first thing we look for is the beauty within, when the skies and the oceans are clean again, then we shall be free. When we're free to love anyone we choose, when the world's big enough for all different views, when we can all worship from our own kind of pew, then we shall be free. It may not seem that radical now, but it was banned by a lot of country radio stations at the time. As such, 
It became the first Garth Brooks song to miss the top 10. It later won an ACM for Video of the Year. When we're free to love anyone we choose When this world's big enough for all different views When we all can worship from our own kind of Okay. Thank you, Sean. I do want to remind you all to please uh, rate and review the Stream Police podcast. Tell a friend. Sharing is caring. It takes a lot of time to uh, to put this together. We don't make any money. Let me say that again. We do not make a dime. We are sponsored, but uh, quite frankly, we're just another jelly bean in the jar. So you can help us stand apart. Help us drive those numbers up by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. Or don't. I, you know, I don't know. It's free country. It's free country. <laughs> I don't want to be too abrasive. <laughs> All right, let's get on with it. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. I'm going to stick with the theme of country music because I just discovered an artist who... Who has really made me feel? Do you remember the feeling you had when you discovered one of your favorite artists? Do you remember the way you felt? It's powerful finding an artist that is in line with your own sensibilities. There's that feeling of, yes, that's what I'm talking about. There's a certain amount of self-discovery when you discover other people's work. Music is personal. Music is emotional. It is spiritual. You can't help but to learn something about yourself when you discover new art. Quite simply, it adds another tool in the belt, and it is glorious. All of this leads me to a guy named Charlie Crockett. Charlie Crockett. And I think you'll like him. Uh, If I didn't think so, I wouldn't devote a whole segment to him. But Charlie Crockett has led an interesting life. Got his start in the blues. Now he sings country. I suppose you could call it Americana. Uh, But he's not one of those bearded guys in skinny jeans who just kind of plucks on a banjo with no melody. His melodies are full. And the music has grit and soul. And I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, that's really all I'm looking for. Grit and soul. Charlie Crockett is a distant relative of Davy Crockett. You remember Davy Crockett and the coonskin cap died at the Alamo. Colonel Blake? Yeah. I just brought a company in and I figured out a report. I'm Davy Crockett from Tennessee. Davy Crockett. I should have known. Let's get right to it. Here he is. This is Charlie Crockett. Life's a casino. I'm telling you. 
everybody's playing Boys and girls, women, children, me and you The dice are loaded And everything's fixed Even a hobo would tell you this Welcome to hard times And feeling low Do you like sinning? No Well you will be before you go We got lots of gambling Oh, and we're telling lies You're certainly welcome Hard times. You could call it gothic country or throwback country, revivalist country, but it has grit and it has soul. The people are laughing, having their fun while I see their cry over what you. My pockets are empty My last bank of wine An empty bottle Broken heart And you're still on my mind Charlie Crockett is 35 years old and grew up with a single mother near Dallas, Texas. But he spent his summers with an uncle in uh, New Orleans. The uncle actually lived in the French Quarter. And you can hear that influence of New Orleans music. And that's what exposed me to street music, was being in the French Quarter all the time because of those players up and down Royal Street. And then I started playing in the street. That's where I first heard Hank Williams drinking songs, was on the street there. Uh, my bucket's got a hole in it. And with New Orleans, if you get into that music culture, you're going to get into that traveling culture. And that's where I started hitchhiking, hopping trains and stuff. Here's an example. Take the night train to Memphis. Night train to Memphis. When you arrive at the station, I'll be right there to meet you. Right there to beat you Won't you accept my invitation Hallelujah Hallelujah We'll be singing Hallelujah All the way Show do efforts to do believe Without a mental Of course, music out of New Orleans is a melting pot the one ingredient that it always has is that it is funky, but it's like a it's like a rolling funk. Dirty little river, but that don't bother me. Dirty little river, 
Charlie Crockett has certainly had experiences that his great great ancestor never had. Not all of those experiences have been good. He was implicated on federal securities fraud charges a few years ago. Yes, that is something you could do serious time for. Supposedly, his brother was the mastermind behind all of it. It's unclear how much Crockett knew of what was going on because his name was forged onto certain documents. He was cleared. His brother was not. He's doing seven years of hard time. Welcome to hard time. And feeling low. Do you like sinning? No. Where you will be before you go. Charlie Crockett is just starting to nose his way into the mainstream. Uh, not surprisingly, he, he has not found a home on country radio, even though his songs are super accessible. To support himself, he's been out playing shows with people like, like Justin Towns Earl, and he's real tight with Leon Bridges. In fact, they have performed together. Here is, here's a clip of Bridges singing with Crockett on guitar. He kind of looks like Steph Curry. Kind of does. Actually, the resemblance is uncanny. (laughs) Dead ringer. (laughs) Charlie Crockett has released eight albums in five years. Uh, Dude is a madman. The records were put out in uh, 2015, 2016, 2017. There were two in 2018, one in 2019, and uh, two this year. Three of them are covers records, but he just keeps recording and recording and recording. The output is almost overwhelming. Some call to fate, some call to blame. I'm a sunshine, neither rain. They said this time's a waste of time. His output is fascinating given how tumultuous his life has been over that period of time. We touched on the legal trouble. He's also had health trouble. Charlie Crockett found in his early 30s that he had a problem with his heart. The condition was called Wolf-Parkinson-White Syndrome. And as I understand it, there are, or at least in his case, there were flaps on one of the valves of his heart that were fused together. And the effect was that his, his heart wasn't working properly. What makes this condition so scary is that about half the people with it never show symptoms. He had surgery after surgery 
after surgery. And finally, at 34 years old, he had open heart surgery. I had some life-saving heart surgeries that I guess what ultimately, to be honest with you, man, it just kind of transformed the way I see my life and the world around me. I think everybody in life has to walk through the valley, you know, and a lot of times we got to do it by ourselves. It's a universal thing when you talk about something like the valley or, or that mountain to climb, you know, uh, you know, and you don't, we don't want the mountain to disappear. We want the strength to climb it. As far as I can tell, he's now healthy. He was slated for a world tour this year before COVID canceled everything. Given his health problems and his traditionalist take on country music, I can't help but to think of Jimmy Rogers, who was another gritty country musician uh, that fought health scare after health scare. And like Crockett, Jimmy Rogers was a workaholic. He toured relentlessly despite doctors' warnings not to. Ultimately, in the case of Jimmy Rogers, it got the better of him. He died of tuberculosis at the age of 35. Ironically, that's how old Charlie Crockett is right now. And without the intervention of modern medicine, he may have suffered the same fate as Jimmy Rogers. For fun, this is Jimmy Rogers. Any old time you want to come back home Drop me a line and say no more you're wrong And you know, come to think of it, there is a ghostly history of disease in country music. Crockett's struggles also resemble uh, those of one of his heroes. That's Hank Williams. Charlie Crockett has covered many Hank Williams songs, including my favorite. It's called Ramblin' Man. Lord, I was born a ramblin'. Nope, it's not that one. You're thinking of the Allman Brothers? It's not that one. Here is... <laughs> here is... Uh, here is Hank Williams doing Ramblin' Man. My favorite Hank Williams song. I can settle down and be doing just fine Till I hear an old freight rolling down the line Then I hear a straight home and pack And if I did I believe I'd blow my stack. I love you, baby, but you gotta understand when the Lord made me, He made a rambling man. This was released uh, 70 years ago, and now here is Charlie Crockett's version of that same song and if i didn't go believe i blow my stand i love you baby but you gotta understand when the low 
Crockett had heart problems, but Williams suffered from spina bifida. Uh, That's a problem with the spinal cord, and it's supposed to be incredibly painful. In Williams' case, he coped with drugs and alcohol and, of course, um, a tireless work ethic. Hank Williams died at 29. Once again, not too far from Crockett's age. Personally, I am drawn to artists who have a sense of history. I like it when they're fans, but not fanboys. There is a difference. And I can tell Charlie Crockett is a fan of Bob Dylan. I can tell that because of his phrasings. Sometimes it comes naturally. Other times it's, um, it's intentional. But to me, it's what separates good or convincing vocalists from just okay vocalists. You can convey so much in your phrasings. And Crockett's remind me of Bob Dylan's, at least when Bob Dylan was putting out country albums. So let's compare. Here's Crockett. Take a look in my eyes. Tell me what you see. Besides the bright blinking lights stretched out in front of me. I wonder if you'll notice Would you even care If I told you my life just isn't fair And here's Dylan. See if their voices sound similar. Do their phrasings sound similar to you? They both keep their arrangements minimal. That's sort of the Bakersfield style or or Texas country. Uh, it, it certainly ain't Nashville country, which tends to be glossied up. All these influences, Hank Williams, Jimmy Rogers, Bob Dylan. If you're listening to this and thinking the guy is just kind of a one big copycat, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't blame you. I might be thinking the same thing. That's a a, a technique that's so in vogue, right? Taking old music and, and looking cool with it. Except there's a difference between labored and inspired. Charlie Crockett's sound to me doesn't feel labored. You listen to one of his albums and it doesn't seem like he sat down and said, okay, look, the greats did this, this, and this, so I'll do that too. In other words, it's not a rip-off job or paint-by-numbers. It's not labored, but rather it's inspired. And the difference is when you're inspired, you locate something within yourself. You make the sound your own. You make it your own. So you're not just paying tribute to old styles. You're using them as a vehicle to discover something new, to cover your own artistic ground. I mentioned Crockett got his start by playing blues music. Same approach there. Not labored, but inspired. Here's one of his blues songs called Cold Hearted Woman. (laughs) 
So that's like that's like front porch blues, Mississippi blues, inspired, not labored. Guys like Crockett and Leon Bridges had me thinking, or rethinking rather, my stance on revival music. For years, I, I would, man. I would tend to roll my eyes at quote-unquote revival acts. Okay, you play old music, we get it. It always seemed like a shortcut. Like you were riding somebody else's wave. Except maybe it means something different now. Something different than it used to. In the era of um, pre-programmed beats and digital instrumentation, it's a borderline act of defiance to play actual instruments. I saw an interview with Lord, who I like, and she admitted there were no live instruments on her first album, the, the one with, um, with Royals on it. So maybe, maybe going back to live instruments and the sounds that were popular generations ago is a statement itself. And maybe that statement means something different now than it used to. Maybe it's more powerful now. You ain't got time to tell me how you feel By this time tomorrow I'll be out of Bakersfield Just like that horse steady running down the track You know I won't be coming back I keep it moving down 75 Just like I've been doing for my entire life And if I win, gonna have to give my baby some You know that woman, she ain't done Can't stop till my work is done Run, horse Run, horse, run Charlie Crockett has a new album out, just released It is called Welcome to Hard Times Could not recommend it more All right, friends, we are building the most perfect playlist known to man every month. We add five more songs to this playlist, which you can locate on Spotify and enjoy anytime you want. Just search Stream Police. Clint did a great job filling in last month. He always does. And uh, when I sit out, I I really look forward to his recommendations. That said, uh, I'll take the reins back. And I'm on a rule kick here, so I will do four country songs and then just one good old sturdy rock and roll tune there at the end. All right, so first, the first song that we're going to add to our playlist, this is called Girl Next Door by Brandy Clark. Spicy. 
Okay, let's uh, let's let's do some '80s country. We talked about Hank Williams. This is his son, Hank Jr. The song "Wild Dogs." Rock and Randall, Bo Cephas, Hank Williams Jr. right there with Wild Dogs. Next, uh, let's see. This is called uh, She Took It Like a Man by the unfortunately named group Confederate Railroad. Here you go. I hate it like the devil to tell her we were through. I was sure it would break her heart and tear her world in two. She is such a fragile thing. Lord, I hate to make her cry. So I broke it to her gently when I told her goodbye. She cussed me like a sailor, kicked a hole through the kitchen wall. She threw a fit and threw the phone. Then I heard the front door slam I guess all in all She took it like a man And here's Just Might Have Her Radio On by Trent Tomlinson It's something that'll get her thinking Finally, your rock tune. I'm really vibing with this. It's Fool's Gold by Graham Parker. That's it. Thank you, everybody. So good to be back. I'm going to hand it back to Clint. I'm going to toss it back to Clint. Behave yourselves, all right? Stay healthy. Peace.
Hey, thanks, Andy. Glad to have you back, man. Just not the same. You're not along with us for the ride here on the Stream Police. Hey, I did my best, though, giving you guys five songs last month. Hopefully you dug the ones I pulled out. Hopefully Andy dug them. I, I didn't. I was trying not to try not to embarrass you too much there, my friend. All right, let's move on. Let's get back to television. Uh, and I, I told you last month that I really liked HBO Max. I really liked the content on there. What I didn't get into too much were were original shows on HBO Max because I hadn't really watched any yet. Um, and as of now, I've only watched one original HBO Max production. There's just too, so much on there that um, their originals are almost going to get lost here. But one original show is one that I've spent some time with and that I have really appreciated during the quarantine. And that is the Not Too Late Show with Elmo. Yes, Elmo from Sesame Street on HBO Max, which HBO owns Sesame Street now. If you didn't know that, they've owned it for a few years. They air the episodes first, and then like six months later or something, PBS gets them as well. So the show's still on PBS, but it's first now on HBO. Um, And so they have this late show now that's hosted by Elmo. And it's the episodes air last for like 15 minutes. They're like 15 to 20 minutes long. They're they're very brief. Um, and they're on demand, obviously, since it's on HBO Max. So you can watch them anytime you want, which is great for a parent. So you can make late night be anytime you want. Just before your kid goes to bed, it can be like, you know, let's watch the late show. And it's on weekly, it's not on daily, but I have really, really enjoyed this show, and it might be embarrassing how much I've enjoyed this show. It's it's not just because my son loves it, but he loves Elmo. He he likes to watch Sesame Street, and Elmo is like one of his all-time heroes. He just, something about him. He's just like a friend of his, basically. And so that's really cool. But it's just that I actually like watching this show. I look forward to it when he asks, can we watch it? Elmo's Late Show is what he calls it. Um. And I look forward to watching it because it's actually funny and it's so sweet. Like this show is just very sweet. I mean, Sesame Street is a sweet show anyway, but this show is even more sweet. I feel like for preschoolers and their parents, this is about as sweet and funny a show as you're going to find. It's very light on educational content. So don't expect like on Sesame Street, you're always learning things and you're getting the number of the day and you're getting the letter of the day and you're hearing about different jobs and how they work. And you're seeing behind the scenes at, you know, the trash dump or behind the scenes at the newspaper printer or whatever. Like there's always a different thing that you're exploring on Sesame Street. and It's very educational. The Not Too Late Show with Elmo is not big on education. So you're not learning a lot on there. But the whole vibe of the show is just like wholesome and kind and sweet. And that is such a, a crazy thing for this point in our lives where, especially even on late night TV, where it like a lot of the humor is mean spirited. And um, if you're on social media, pretty much all the humor is mean spirited on there. And it's just always about tearing people down. And this show is just nice. And it's almost like all that other stuff doesn't exist when you're watching, spending 15 minutes with Elmo's Late Show. And this show's also genuinely funny at times, a lot of times because Elmo's co-host is Cookie Monster. And who doesn't like Cookie Monster? I mean, he's just so ridiculous and outlandish. But he sits there on the couch, you know, next to the guest, and Elmo sits at his desk, and then he's got, you know, this band of monsters who play music for him. And there's like a little, you know, audience that's kind of digitally all put in some of them are monsters some of them are people 
Uh, and then they'll go backstage a lot of times and you'll see what's going on in the control booth. And it's always like absolute chaos. And you've got different Sesame Street characters back there playing director and being the producer of the show, trying to book guests and just something crazy is always happening backstage. So it's got like kind of a Muppets vibe, really. Um, there's a lot of Muppets influence here, but it's Sesame Street in the end because it is very good for like young, young kids, like, you know, under five years old. And this show is perfect for them. And kids older than that might think it's a little bit too young for them, but for little kids, this is great stuff. Um, but the show is genuinely funny at times. I find myself laughing and, and the guests that they get make kind of themselves be so silly in talking with Elmo. And you can tell they just actually love Elmo that it's, it just kind of makes the whole thing fun to watch. And they also always have a musical guest on. So the musical performance is always like a highlight to me because what it ends up being is this pretty famous musical guest coming on and singing a song for little kids, like a song that's aimed at little kids, whether it's a classic lullaby because they're trying to, you know, because it's a late show or they'll sing a, a classic song from Sesame Street. But it's never like a guest comes on and sings one of their songs. Robert Ducky, you're the one You make bath time lots of fun Robert Ducky, I'm awfully fond of you And the people who come on to do interviews and, and they've had people, like they've had Batman on for an interview, just somebody in a Batman costume being Batman, which my son loved. They had, uh, John Oliver has been on there for an interview, you know, a fellow HBO guy they they've had a, a, some some pretty good uh guests for, come in for interviews so far and i've really liked the interviews as well because they don't feel like they're pimping something which is so rare for any talk show of any kind like they don't ever talk about what projects they have going on right now they don't talk about their clothing line elmo doesn't ask them you know what their new record is and doesn't talk about what their new album is or anything when it's the musical guest. He just has them on. They sing a song for kids and then he'll ask them something sweet like about, you know, what animal they would imagine themselves being if they could be an animal. What superpower would they like to have? And they'll do some kind of little silly, you know, contest with Elmo. And that's kind of all it is. And it, it's just fun and funny. And it's not about commercialism. It's not trying to get you to buy something. Uh, and I think that's where the show really succeeds is it strips away all the stuff that's just the shittiest stuff about late night TV. And it keeps the good things about it, the format and uh, the set and the things that we're familiar with that make us feel comfortable. And it just gives it this whole sweet vibe. And Elmo's a good host and Cookie Monster's a good co-host. And the whole thing is just cool. It's just a cool show. I really like it. So I think HBO Max has done something really good with the not too late show with Elmo. I think they can be really proud of it. And uh, the best part of the whole thing is it's on demand. So perfect way to wind your kid down before bedtime. Uh, at the end of the show, Elmo puts on his pajamas and sings a little recap song. It's kind of like a lullaby. The lights go down on the set. And then uh, we see Elmo getting into bed with his stuffed animal. And that's the way the show ends every night. So it can, this show can be on whenever you want it to be on. And it can be late night whenever, you know, it can be broad daylight outside and you're, watching The Late Show, and then you go, well, Elmo's in bed. It's time to go to bed. The Late Show's over. And how can they argue with that? So that's, uh, I have been really enjoying 
the Not Too Late Show with Elmo, and I congratulate HBO Max and thank them from from parents of toddlers everywhere for giving us that show, especially right now when we could really use it. So I'm I'm looking forward to watching even more episodes of that. But it is on HBO Max now if you want to check it out. The Not Too Late Show with Elmo. Totally recommended if you have a kid under five years old. Well, it's time to wind down the show, everybody. Oh, oh boy, Elmo's getting a little sleepy. Oh, Elmo would like to thank his co-host, Cookie Master. Oh, oh yeah, nighty-night, Elmo. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, and Elmo would also like to thank you. It was so nice to be with you. Elmo's happy you dropped by. There was some magic and the Jonas Brothers. Elmo brushed his teeth and then the Jonas Brothers came back. Elmo loves you. You are special. Night, night. All right, let me give you something a little bit more adult that's streaming right now. If you're looking for something to watch and if you are a sports fan like me and if you like sports documentaries, maybe you're not even a huge sports fan, but you like sports documentaries, you like the 30 for 30s and stuff like that, you love The Last Dance and those kind of things, maybe just the stories of, from sports really interest you. Well, there's a series that the NFL Network did uh, a few years ago called The Timeline that I watched a little bit of when it was first on, but I, I watched even more of it recently because I figured out that it's on Amazon Prime. Partially. The whole series is not on there, but most of the episodes are, and uh, a lot of really good ones are on there. So if you're looking for something to watch, and if you're interested in football at all, and if you like the stories behind great games, and if you you know like the history of the NFL, if you're interested in that, the timeline is really, really well done. It's produced by NFL Films, which is just like, to me, the gold standard in sports documentary making. And ESPN's 30 for 30 has kind of overtaken that, but NFL Films is where it all kind of goes back to. And some of the best sports documentaries I've ever seen in my life and some of the most iconic stylistic choices and stuff like that were all kind of invented and pioneered by the guys at NFL Films and really by the father-son duo of uh, Ed and Steve Sable, um, who were just titans in the business of making sports documentaries. So the timeline uh, came out originally in 2015. And I don't know if you, I, I guess it's not on anymore because I think it ran from 2015 to 2017. Uh, it was on for three seasons and I don't know why they stopped it because it's, it's a cool show and it's kind of a great, like a thing you could imagine perfectly airing on the NFL network. But the gimmick of it is it's a timeline. Each episode kind of goes into a part of the timeline of NFL history and tells you why this moment in time was important. And they, and each episode covers a different important moment in the NFL. Uh, and some of the ones that are really good that are on Amazon prime, one of them is about Brett Favre, which is, this was actually the first episode. It's about Brett Favre's time as in the, with the Green Bay Packers and then him retiring and then unretiring. And then Aaron Rodgers taking over and then the, you know, the Packers like basically not wanting Favre back and it being very awkward and him joining, you know, the Minnesota Vikings who are a huge rival to them. And that whole thing was so juicy and dramatic when it happened. And this movie has really good access because it's made by NFL films and it's uh, it tells the story really well. And I thought it was a very compelling uh, episode of the show is definitely one of the best. The narrators they get for these episodes are interesting as well. That one was narrated by Tim McGraw. Uh, 
by the way, but they've got one uh, that's about the New York Giants and how they become, uh, you know, one of the all-time great franchises in the 1980s after all these years of sucking. And the episode was called Jersey Guys. And it's really all about how the Giants are like, you know, Jersey's team and how the Jets are kind of New York's team and how those teams clash and and, uh, their styles collide and why the people in New Jersey love the Giants so much. And that one's narrated by Bon Jovi, obviously a huge New Jersey uh, guy. There's also a really good episode called The Merger that's about the merger between the NFL and the AFL that gave us the NFL we know of today and gave us the Super Bowl eventually. And that one um, was narrated by Rich Eisen uh, and James Brown as well. So a couple of great football voices there. Uh, they did a really good episode on 9-11 and the NFL during the 2001 season uh, and also, you know, the pause that they took and what ended up happening with the Jets and the Giants, you know, during that season and how those players felt and, and, and just that was a really good episode. That, and I actually learned some things in that episode about the NFL during that season that I didn't know, some stories that I had never uh heard before so just some really really there's a, there's one about the 0 and 26 tampa bay buccaneers uh losing the first 26 games they ever played as a franchise which i thought was absolutely fantastic there was a really good episode about the fog bowl in 1988 between the eagles and the bears where the game was played under this massive cloud of fog and it's like you can't even believe it's like something out of a movie and the, this whole documentary was so dramatic and so well told and john cusack did the voiceover you know chicago guy himself uh, there's an episode about Lombardi's Redskins when Vince Lombardi went and coached the Redskins just before he got cancer uh, that Dan Rather ended up uh, narrating. He's a Redskins fan. And so really just a lot of great moments from NFL history that get uh, you know their due in this show. And uh, I was uh, just enthralled. I-, I loved watching the timeline. And I think the first two seasons completely are on there. And it's just the third season, which is actually the shortest one, which is missing. Um, so hopefully they'll put that third one on there at some point, but, uh, check out the timeline. If you're into sports documentaries, if you're into the stories behind football, especially, I think you'll really, really dig this one. It was a show that kind of went under the radar, I think, because it was on NFL network at a time when not a lot of people had NFL network. And still to this day, unless you have satellite, uh, a lot of people don't get I don't have NFL Network now. Uh, a lot of people just don't get it now. So it's uh, and even if you have cable, it's kind of buried down there with the like specialty sports channel. So you might not even know that you even get it. But uh, the timeline was like a gem, really good show. Uh, I would compare it favorably to a football life, which is an even better show uh, done by NFL films as well. But the timeline is very, very good. And uh, gives you some glimpses into some of the really important moments in NFL history. There, a few episodes were kind of shitty, and I really didn't care about them at all. Your mileage is going to vary. It's going to depend how interested you are in those teams and in those players and coaches and stories that they're talking about in a specific, you know, episode. But most of them I thought were really good. There were only a couple that I was about to fall asleep through and really could care less about. They did a two-parter on the rivalry between the Cowboys and the 49ers. Talk about talk about who gives a shit. I could care less about that one. And it was just it was cheesy the way they did it. They had the voiceovers from uh when they were talking about Dallas, it was Sam Elliott doing the voiceovers because he's a Cowboy fan. And then when they talked about the Niners, it was Jeremy Renner. He's a big Niners fan. They were talking about they had him do the voiceover. So it was cheesy. 
And just why do we need two hours on that? Who cares? I mean, there were some great games between them, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. I didn't care. So that one about put me to sleep and it was a, a two parter, but the timeline is now on prime video if you want to check it out. So totally recommend that one for you as well. If you like that kind of thing. I remember vividly in 1969, there was a new spirit in the city about the new presidency and great excitement about Lombardi being here. When do you expect to have a winner? I'd like to have a winner the first year, if possible. One of the great ironies of Vince Lombardi's career is that his great years came during the 1960s, when the world was clanging and changing around him. He was very strong on racial equality. He had a gay brother and was very sensitive on issues of sexuality at a time when that was not part of football. A good friend, a priest friend of his, went into him when he was in the hospital and he said, I'm not afraid of dying, uh, but there's so much work left to be done. And I think certainly that had something to do with the Redskins, obviously, but I think he felt that he had something to say as far as the national situation. So I always like to tell you about what the best thing I watched this month was. I watch a lot of stuff every month, but this is where I single out what was the absolute cream of the crop. What was the top, baby? What was the best thing that I watched this month? And this month, it was a movie streaming on where else? HBO Max that I rediscovered after I loved it when I was a kid on VHS. 1990s Dick Tracy. I had completely forgotten this movie even existed. And I don't even know how that's possible because it's a huge budget production. It has some of the most impressive practical makeup effects that I have ever seen. It has great costuming. It has great music. Just a, such a cool look. Nice noir vibe. Um, you know, it just, everything about this movie's cool, and I don't understand why it's not more beloved, uh, and why it's not thought of as kind of a great film, but anyway, Dick Tracy from 1990, I fell back at, in love with it again, it was Warren Beatty, uh, directed it and starred in it, and, and it was like his love letter to the Dick Tracy series, uh, to the, like, the little serial films, and the, the comic strip, and from when he was a kid, and this movie looks legitimately like a comic strip come to life. It is so impressive how it was done. And I think it and the Batman film from the late 80s that was done by Tim Burton are so alike that if you like one, and everyone loves the, the 80s Batman, like you won't find anyone who doesn't like that movie. And it's a classic. It broke tons of box office records. It gave us superheroes as an obsession at the box office. But like Dick Tracy is not thought of the same way. And they came out almost back to back. And Dick Tracy's like every bit as good. So I don't really get it. Why? I mean, it's just a, this movie is really cool. It's got some great villains in it. I mean, Al Pacino plays the main villain. You know, Madonna is actually really good. Very sexy as this femme fatale uh, in, in a major role for her in this movie also. And it, there's just a lot of really good actors and really good turns in this one. And, and Beatty leads the way as Dick Tracy. Just a cool-looking movie. I, I was blown away watching this thing, uh, just how it looked. It just looks like a million bucks. So uh, check it out if you never watched Dick Tracy, or maybe you forgot about it. I wore the VHS tape out when I was a kid, and then completely forgot it existed until just then. We need to get more appreciation going for the Dick Tracy movie 
from 1990. It's streaming right now on HBO Max. All right, let me give you some recommendations of what is streaming now. So something funny for you and something serious. I'm going to tell you some stuff on Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and HBO Max. First off, on Netflix, something funny for you from 1991. It's The Addams Family. Talk about great casting. Raul, Julia, Angelica Houston, Christopher Lloyd as Uncle Fester, Christina Ricci as Wednesday. I had the biggest crush on Christina Ricci in this movie when I was a kid and I watched it. And she was a kid too, you know, so it wasn't creepy. I wasn't like 30 years old watching this and having a crush on her. But I was, I think I was younger than her actually and uh, just had a crush on her. She had to be one of my very first crushes. Wednesday from The Addams Family as played by Christina Ricci. Thought she was just something about her, man. I was just drawn to the screen. But this movie's great. It's very funny, um, very silly, and and also sweet at the same time. It's just a cool freaking movie and a really good example of how to do an adaptation of an old piece of media. Uh, so I loved it. It's uh, right now streaming for you on Netflix, The Adams Family. Also, something serious for you on Netflix, uh, Spotlight from 2015 at one Best Picture. It's one of the great Best Picture winners of recent memory, and it's one of the all-time great journalism movies. Might be the greatest journalism movie, if you ask me. I think it really nailed what the job is. It made me proud to be a journalist when I saw this movie. Um, and I think it really got it right. And so many movies don't. So many movies try to make it more sexy than it is. And this one really showed it for what the job is and how tough it is to make breakthroughs and how much paperwork is involved in making a story as big as this one. And, and so Spotlight's great. It's it's a true story of the reporters at the Boston Glo- Globe who kind of broke the uh, Catholic Church sex abuse scandal going on in Boston and being covered up really around the world, but in Boston, which is a town that loves its Catholic Church, if you know anything about Boston. So amazing movie if you didn't see it. Just a a, a brilliant piece of writing and um, good piece of acting as well from a lot of good actors in Spotlight, now streaming on Netflix. On Amazon, something funny for you. How about uh, Knives Out from 2019? I gave this a full review here on the show after we saw it in theaters last year. I loved it. I thought it was funny. Um, I thought it had a great story, good twist thrilling cast of characters. It reminded me like a Robert Altman or Sidney Lumet big ensemble piece. Um, and I think Ryan Johnson's, you know, one of the freshest directors that we have working and he did really good job on this. It's like a modern day Agatha Christie mystery, murder mystery movie. What's not to like about it? And Daniel Craig just having fun for once. The guy never gets to have fun playing any parts. So I really liked it. Knives Out was really cool. That's that's streaming right now on Amazon. Very funny movie. Something serious for you on Amazon from 2010. Inception, Christopher Nolan's sci-fi masterpiece, one of the great heist movies ever. If you uh, have never seen Inception, very difficult to describe it. Uh, People breaking into other people's heads to steal their thoughts, their dreams, basically. Um, And it is so high concept, but this movie just nails it. And this is one of those movies that, for me, I will never forget seeing in theaters. I have that memory of going with Beth. It was one of the first movies we ever saw together in theaters, actually. Uh, And being just blown away for like two and a half hours. I'm just staring at the screen. um, And just, this was magical. I mean, it was like when I think people talk about going to see Wizard of Oz, Inception felt like that to me. It was just, I had never seen this kind of thing done uh, on a movie screen before. And it still blows me away. Some of the great special effects ever, uh, you know, characters or whatever, but the, the movie itself stylistically is just impeccable. So 
Inceptions right now on Amazon. Go go check it out. It's a it's a classic, man. It's a, a, a brilliant movie. Uh, on Hulu, something funny for you. How about My Cousin Vinny from 1992 with the great Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei winning an Oscar for this movie? Um, just a cool movie, very funny, and uh, actually ends up sneakily being a very good courtroom mystery with a nice little twist. And how is he gonna how is he gonna win this case? Uh, and Pesci gives one of the great performances of his life. Talk about a guy who didn't really get to have a lot of fun in his roles. He always kind of had to be the heavy. He got to have a lot of fun in this one, uh, and he does a really good job in it. And uh, that's on Hulu right now, My Cousin Vinny. Also, something serious for you on Hulu. Let's go with 1983's Risky Business. This one was actually listed under comedies there, but I think that's a misnomer. I think of Risky Business as a drama every time. You could probably call it a dramedy, but it's a teen drama to me, and it's a very serious movie that looks at some really intense, uh, you know, th- some you know problems and um, some heavy stuff for its main characters. So it's a, a really you know great early performance from Tom Cruise and uh, Rebecca De Mornay is is fantastic in it as well. It's just a really cool movie, good script, great music. Uh, it's got Springsteen on the soundtrack, so how can you really argue with that? So Risky Business from 1983. If you never watched it, it's much more... All you think of is that underwear scene where he's in his underwear sliding on the floor. It's a good scene, but that's like five seconds. The rest of the movie very different than that scene. This is not a silly teenager, parents are out of town, let's party kind of thing. It, it seems like it's going to be that way, but things get a lot heavier, a lot faster uh, in Risky Business than you might think they're going to. Finally, two movies for you on HBO Max. Something funny from 2006. It is Mike Judge's Idiocracy. Man, this movie might have predicted where we are right now in the world. It's the it's the movie where Luke Wilson plays this like basically like a dumbass slacker guy who ends up volunteering for this experiment where they're going to put him in like cryogenic sleep, I think is what it is, and he wakes up 500 years in the future. And the world and the United States, everyone is so dumb at this point that him as this totally average, below average guy, he is held up as like the like a brilliant like he's like Einstein for them. They worship him uh, and think he's just the smartest guy ever. And Terry Crews plays the president. and He's one of the funniest presidents ever uh, in to be done in a movie. He gives this great State of the Union address, which if you've never seen, just look it up on YouTube and it'll make you want to watch the movie. But Idiocracy is really funny. It's uh, from Mike Judge, the guy who did Beavis and Butthead and Office Space uh, and uh, Silicon Valley as well. And he, it's one of his best. I mean, he did, he doesn't get a whole lot of credit for his movie work as as well, much as his TV work, but Idiocracy is a stroke of genius. Very, very funny movie. Streaming right now on HBO Max. And finally, something serious for you on HBO Max. I'm going to throw at you Blade Runner, The Final Cut, boom, 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 from 1982. This is the definitive version. It's the only version of Blade Runner that's ever been put out that Ridley Scott completely had creative control over, and it is the best version of the movie. Pretty much everyone agrees on that. There are very few things about it that aren't as good as the original director's cut, which wasn't even the director's cut. This is really the director's cut. So that's streaming right now on HBO Max. If you never experienced Blade Runner, what are you waiting on, man? I mean, this is talking, you talk about one of my very all time favorite movies, best looking movies, sounding movies, Rutger Hauer, Harrison Ford, Daryl Hannah. There's nothing to not like about Blade Runner. It is a gem. It is 80s cinema at its absolute best, and it is neo-noir 
at its absolute very best. So that is right now on HBO Max. What are you waiting on? Sit down with it. Blade Runner, the final cut. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Thank you very much for hanging out with me, my friend. And uh, I'm just always glad to sit here and chat with you and talk to you about movies and TV. And I know Andy's glad to sit and talk to you about music as well. We will be talking to you again in a month. Until then, why don't you hit me up at Davis at gmail.com T-H-E Clint Davis at gmail.com and you can also uh, follow me on Instagram at Mr. Clint Davis Andy is at Andy Sedlak and he is on email at sedlakjournal at gmail.com S-E-D-L-A-K journal at gmail.com we'll talk to you in a month my friend until then stream on Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.